Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. It is game week, and we're presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. Look, here's the thing with this. Like, this has been, since you and I last did a podcast, the world has, has we have the final, final answer on everything has been accomplished, <laughs> right? So Urban is suspended sure. three days. You know this by now, unless you've been in a cave in Burma. Urban puts out a statement on Friday um, where he apologized to Courtney Smith at the end of the statement. Uh, that didn't satisfy some people. Um, the way that I kind of am with this thing at this point is, Johnny, whatever side you were on on this side, on this thing, and it, obviously it's a wide spectrum on on where this thing went, um, come Saturday at noon, there's one thing that's going to unify you, and you're all going to root for Scarlet and Gray. And so that's the beauty of sport, and that's the beauty of football, is that you can be on the opposite side of arguments for a month, and this thing can be uh, wrapped up for better or worse on on Saturday when you play a football game. So um, I, I felt like I've said my piece on this thing um, on my radio show. Uh, I'm happy to re- revisit that. I have you. I, feel, I know you guys did a big podcast as well where you guys kind of talked about this. Um, is there anything else, you know, now as we had Ryan Day speak today on the Urban the way that all shook out that you wanted to get off your chest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always a lot I want to get off my chest. Uh, we, right. we did do, we did a pretty cool round table with, with Lori and Allison, you know, obviously those are two people who have been around, you know, high state and, and Columbus reporting for a while. And we were glad to get their perspective because it's, it's one that I don't think has been brought nearly enough in this. I think 99% of the local reporting has been done by men of Zach Smith, yeah. and Urban Meyer's age, which yeah. is a problem. Like that's that's something I just people people need to understand straight up. That is a problem and an issue. My, I mean, what has bothered me from the beginning, and what continues to bother me about this, is that the central issues of, you know, how do we hold people in a power in power accountable? What kind of behavior do we expect morally? What is the extent to which we um, aggressively like go after claims of abuse and things like that? None of those questions have really been answered for me. You would be, I don't know anybody who thinks Ohio State did well by themselves last Wednesday. I don't know anybody. It was as big of a failure of a day as Ohio State has had. Now, they pay people, they must, a lot of money to handle their marketing and public relations and give them advice. Well, those people are bad at their jobs. Simple as that. Because you don't have people in a room for 12 hours, nearly 12 hours, and then force them to do a press conference where reporters haven't seen a report um, and then have awkward Q&A where Urban Meyer's clearly not happy at the time with the penalty, and I don't know if Drake was either. It looked to me like Gene was trying to play mediator, and it just right. came across bad. It came across all bad, and there was nothing wrong with it at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night simply saying, hey, fellas, why don't you head on home? We're going to have a press conference tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and we're going to address right. this there. We'll, we're going to send the report out to you at 9. You'll have a chance <clears> to read it overnight, and we'll be we'll reconvene at 10 o'clock tomorrow, and you can answer all the questions you want for 35, 40 minutes, however long it takes. And then we're not going to talk about it anymore because we've done it. And by not doing that, they allowed this issue to be one that won't die anytime soon. And so, and so we're left to kind of muddle through it. And it's, it's a hard thing to do um, given the information that we have and given the information, given what we know about urban Meyer and what we know about Ohio state, it's a very, very tough thing to do. Um, And with that, we bring on Heather Dinich of ESPN. Heather, thanks for, for hopping on with us here. Um, obviously we're right in the thick of it. Um, and we've been, we've been on this thing for a month, Heather, obviously. And, um, there was, we were just discussing the awkward press conference on Wednesday, which was 
you know, it came across pretty poorly and disingenuous and such. I'm curious from your position from afar, as you've watched Ohio state and the way they've handled this thing going now over a month was about the totality of it. What, what did you observe and what were your opinions of the way it was handled? Well, I think, you know, on Wednesday night, I was just stunned at Urban's delivery of it all. And, you know, Ohio State fans are pinging me on Twitter saying it was a long day. Come on, man. You mean to tell me that there's not more emotion at 1 a.m. after a big win? I mean, you know, it was just the, the fact that he didn't even say Courtney Smith's name throughout the entire press conference and how much he and Gene Smith um, at the athletic director there apologized to Buckeye Nation to me just so showed a complete disregard for the entire situation at hand and just a very um, naive view through a prism that didn't go much beyond the walls of the football field, to be quite honest. And after the press conference was when I had a chance to go through the entire 23-page report and going through that, it made it even worse. I was, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. All, all of the things that were in there. And then the thing that really gets me in hearing from so many diehard Ohio state fans is what I don't understand is why, why are you so loyal to a coach who put one man ahead of your program, ahead of your football team that, that you just, you know, support to the death. And for for all that he protected Zach Smith, he forgot about everything else, about the fans and about the rest of the team and about the reputation and, and the image and all that. And and that kind of befuddles me that Ohio State fans, even the most loyal, are okay with that. I think the hard thing there, there's a couple things to address there, Heather. And your um, number one, I think it's uh, the thing that always floored me in this whole thing was the idea that Urban Meyer, who is so laser focused, uh, would have this big of a, of a blind spot for this guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I knew he had a blind spot because we know the relationships with the, the, the grandfather. And for full disclosure, you don't know this. The, our listeners do. I hosted Urban's show for a lot of years. And the guy I worked most with was Earl Bruce. He was one of the experts on the show. So I, t- I used to play golf with him all the time, knew Earl a great deal. I know what he meant to Urban Meyer. So I knew that there was a blind spot there, um, but I didn't think it was this big. And to me, the, the one thing that is that I can say pretty relatively emphatically is that I don't believe that Urban Meyer uh, knowingly harbored a domestic abuser. I don't think he thought Zach Smith was a domestic abuser. That being said, as you read the report, as I did, there were a thousand things you could have fired Zach Smith for, right. um, <laughs> let alone the domestic violence. And that right. was that's the thing that's really hard to wrap your head around. Right. And on top of that, the one glaring thing from that report that I don't think anybody will ever forget is the notion that he stood there at practice one day trying to figure out how to erase text messages from a, from right. a past year. So, you know, those things like that, to me, open the door to question character and to question then the sincerity of Friday night's apology. And look, I came down on him really hard for for his press conference on Wednesday and, and for everything that I just spoke about. But at the same time, I'm not going to condemn him for saying something on Friday evening that needed to be said. He he was in a lose-lose situation. He had to apologize. Right one way or another. Right. Um, so 
you can question the timing and everything, but but he he said something he had to say and, and something I had said he needed to say. So it's kind of hypocritical for me to say, oh, you know, this is BS because it came out when it did. But I, I get that. And and going back to all those things we talked about, it's fair to say, did he really mean it? Right. Uh, Heather, let me ask you this. So I, one of the things that I've struggled with, I think, in the past month is the fact that our site, a lot of other sites, it's a really insular kind of world sometimes when you're you're so laser focused on Ohio State sports and Columbus in general that I, I think a lot of the narrative just kind of gets passed around and we don't really get a lot of outside input. Um, and the question that I had for you is, what do you think maybe is a story or an angle to this larger issue that we haven't maybe focused on as much as we should, or maybe just the media at large hasn't focused on as it should? Wow, that's a really great important question. Um jeez. I don't I, I wish I <laughs> just dropped on here. <laughs> no, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be writing it for tomorrow, I think. Um no, you know, I, I think just in general the big picture here is how how much more important is all of this than Ohio State football? And and here's the thing. This is n- when I say this, I, I mean prioritizing football over whatever else the story may be is not unique to Ohio State. And that's because as long as athletic directors and athletic departments are paying these people literally millions of dollars, Urban gets $7.6 million to win. As long as that is always the bottom line incentive, we are always going to be talking about these things because that's that's it. He's getting paid to win the Big Ten, to beat Michigan, to be in the college football playoff conversation. Um, and that is more important at the end of the day than everything else that we've talked about to Ohio State because that's that's how it's drawn up. And so I think that is the bigger the bigger picture that everyone is missing. It's all about incentive. No matter where you work, what are you getting paid to do? Well, it comes down, it's for any job, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, I, we had Johnny Manziel in the state for a while and it was Johnny Manziel. You could put up with stuff as long as he was producing, but then when the producing and the problems, when the problems became bigger than the producing, then it flips. And the the, the right. thing you explained is not unique to Ohio state that this thing could have played out anywhere in the country. And, and as long as the coach is winning 90% of his games, the result is probably going to be the same. You right. Know, I don't I don't I don't think that this is something that's unique to Ohio State. I think this could have happened anywhere and it and we would have seen a similar result to it. Um and that's just how powerful football is. And the tricky part for people like us is that this is our way of life, right? I mean, we we cover this right. and it's like right. that that's the part about college football, college sports in general that's hard. It's because and I, I don't necessarily just mean the worst that's assumed of this investigation, but in general we love the taste of the hot dog, but I don't know that we want to know how it's made. And that goes from athlete compensation. That goes to the the CD underbelly and recruiting that goes to p- power unchecked at the highest levels goes to strength coaches making a million dollars a year. So there's this whole thing to the business of college sports, big time sports, men's and men's football and men's basketball that we all like the end result, but none of us, I don't think really want to know how it's made, even though we kind of all do. We just don't talk about it. 
Right. And and that's kind of what Ohio State and Maryland, which I've also been covering extensively this month, has has brought to light. And it is. It's it's the ugliness of the sport. And everybody wants to say, well, I hope this isn't going on in other places. But if you I mean, I think it's naive to think that there aren't strength coaches across the country who aren't doing what we we found was happening at Maryland. Now, to what extent? I have no idea. Um but it, it's up to the players um, and, and other people to speak out in order to have those those stories and those things written. But but you're right. It's I wonder though, in terms of being unique to Ohio State, and it's impossible to know the answer to this question. Yeah. The suspension. Would other schools have have taken it further? Would would other schools have fired their coach? Would they have at least suspended their coach for a conference game? I mean. After you read that report, how is he not suspended at least for a Big Ten game? Yeah, yeah his thing would be he shouldn't be suspended at all because right. he feels like he didn't do anything wrong. And that's the this is this is you know the two most powerful things fighting each other, right. um, and it's his success which which allows for the platform for him to fight from. So it's yeah, I mean it's this is a tricky thing. I honestly thought it would be all or nothing. I didn't think there was any way to be suspension i thought and this was before i read the report my assumption would be that he would either be fired and terminated or he would be reinstated immediately and he had done nothing wrong and so like to me it seemed like half measures based on the stuff we see and the report for five hundred thousand dollars kind of seems like some half measures too so i it's um it's a it was a really tricky spot as as we move on uh the awkward transition to the football side of things we have games that start for real uh this week we had games last week as well which you you know, I'm a junkie and I, I watch some of them, but we have uh, we have the full slate this week. And you wrote a column um, about, incidentally enough, that can it has to do with with Ohio State and Auburn and basically saying that the road to the college football playoff is going to go through those two teams because of who they play. And if Ohio State can somehow, as, as we again transition into the football side of things, if they can somehow keep this train on the rails, they do have a team that because of the opponents they play. We'll have every opportunity to be in the playoff once again. Isn't it funny how that works? Yeah. <laughs> you just, just got to keep talking about Ohio State, but it's true um, because they've got – well, first of all, as you guys know, the Big Ten East is amazing. It's so deep. In, in my opinion, I think it's better than the SEC West, but that's a debate for another conversation. But when you look at Ohio State's schedule with Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, those three games right there, all of which will have urban coaching, on the sideline are are no doubt going to determine the top four teams in the college football playoff and the Big Ten's place in it. Now, whether Wisconsin has anything to say about that in the Big Ten championship game, if they get there, obviously remains to be seen. But when you look at Ohio State and that schedule, and then Auburn as well, the reason I brought those guys into it was because they've obviously got their opener against Washington, and then they've got Georgia and Alabama, two road games in November during the regular season, I just don't think that you can determine the college football playoff this year without considering those two program schedules. Do you think we're going to reach a situation where like, it's going to be, you're never going to have anything cut and dry, at least the way it was like maybe in 2014, maybe in 2014, had a lot of controversy, but do you think that it's, it's just the way it's set up, there's always going to be this back and forth hand wringing about who gets in, who doesn't uh, just with the current way the college football playoff is set up. 
Yes, I do. And and I hope there is because it's so much fun. <laughs> I love it. Um, but that, that's what you get when you only have four teams. I mean, by the very nature of it, pe- people are going to be angry because all of the conference champions and aren't going to get in. And um, I think that is terrific because it guarantees you the four best. I think you'd have a hard time going back and really making a case over the past four years where the committee got it, quote, wrong. Um, you know, you can argue Alabama last year, but. <laughs> yeah, it worked out for them, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. So I, I think there will be, but I also think that that's part of what makes it so fun and also helps guarantee that you're not going to get a, um, a three-loss conference champion sneak in there through the back door and then just have a lousy title game. Yeah, I have no interest in that either. I saw Delaney's been he's been adamant about that, obviously, trying to get a conference, you know, conference champions and all that. And frankly, that's fine. Just get rid of the conference championship games. Just do it the old way. And then you would literally then you would actually have the best team from every conference, not a team that gets lucky on a Saturday night uh, at eight o'clock in Indianapolis. So, no, I, I, I think they do do it the right way or as good as can be. I actually was a fan of the BCS, but this is fine, too. I Do you think I I know that? Look, I guess I asked the question. I know the answer. If there's money for it, they'll do it. But the talk I've seen something about adding six or eight. Um, Do you think we are destined for for even more? Yes, I think it's inevitable, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I mean, you mentioned the magic word money, right? If there's more money to be made, eventually it will happen. But every person that I've talked to in the college football playoff organization and the commissioners, the 10 FBS commissioners and Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director at Notre Dame, they're, they're the ones, I call them the suits of the sport, and they're the ones with the power to change it. None of them are interested in changing it right now. And so much of it goes back to the knee-jerk reaction of changing the BCS constantly, so much so the college football fans are like, wait, I don't get it. What's going on? Computers. And they were like, we're just going <laughs> to let this thing play out and everybody get used to it, and then, and then we'll reevaluate it. Who do you think, I mean, who do you think stands the benefit from nothing changing then the most? Because you've always got Ohio State and the Blue Bloods and whatnot. Do you think that a team like, you know, Washington, for example, which I think is going to, you know, do some really great things on Pearson, are they going to be able to be consistent uh, presence in that college football playoff? Or is that just one of those outlier things that even them, even in a you know Power 5 conference, are not going to be able to make that kind of headway? No, I think they will. It's all about scheduling, which, you okay. know, is a gamble because they do it, what, 10, 20 years in advance. But right. if you line up teams that you think – I think uh, Joe Castiglione in Oklahoma has a great philosophy. It's, I think he, he calls it, like, good, better, best. And it's like a team you, you couldn't beat, you can beat, you definitely should beat, one that you, you, you probably should beat, and then a really good challenge like Oklahoma, Ohio State, right? And if you can schedule that way – if you're in a position with your program to do that and to try and win those games, then you'll be in the mix. Well, hopefully Ohio state will be able to, to do that. I mean, that, that, I mean, cause that's the thing we've, I got, I just remember 10, 12 years ago, looking really excited at future Ohio state schedules. And then I'm, you know, I look at it and I'm like, ah, maybe this didn't work out so hot. And it's crazy to me. You just, I mean, you said it like you got to schedule it so far in advance. Does that, I don't know. It, it just feels like it, it's kind of a crapshoot a little bit. Does that make sense? Where it is. It is. I mean, I talk- you've got the right schedule in the right year so that your talent can be situated at the right time that you can actually make the playoff with the four teams. 
Right. I remember talking to Barry Alvarez last year about Wisconsin's schedule. He's like, I didn't think BYU was going to be this bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we thought they were going to be good. So, right. you know, I mean, that's just – it's kind of how you roll the dice. But then, look, if you are a Power 5 conference, like a Power 5 team last year like Wisconsin, and you have a weak schedule like they did, you can still get in, but you have no margin for error. That's what people don't understand. It's like, okay, well, you know, Mike Gundy is like, well, maybe I'll just schedule easy so I can go undefeated. Fine. You want to do that, go ahead. But you better go undefeated. Right. 110% <laughs> chance, right? Um, right? And, you know, when you look back at Washington that year they got in, everybody was like, oh, their schedule is so bad. And it was, but that was the year the Big 12 champ had two losses. And the Big Ten champ had two losses. Right. That's sheer luck for Washington because Oklahoma or Penn State has one loss that year, and you're in trouble. You lose yeah. the battle against another one loss because their schedule's better. Heather, you brought up the Big Ten East. I, I think it's I think it's really not likely is not the wrong not the right word, but it's it's in play for two teams out of that division to make the playoff this year based on the schedules of those teams. For example, obviously if Michigan were to go undefeated into the game and then lose to Ohio state, and you could see a scenario where Ohio state goes on to win the big 10 and Ohio state and Michigan both get in. Um, I, I can't recall the big 10 being in better shape than it is right now nationally to have five teams ranked in the top 15, three in the top 10. Um, it, it seems like the Big Ten is, 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 is in as good a shape as they've ever been in, in the modern era of college football. I would agree, and especially if Oklahoma falters. Because I want to say right now our stats and information group gives the Big 12 a 3% chance to make the playoff. It's, <laughs> it's really low, and yeah. it's all banking on Oklahoma. And if Oklahoma doesn't get in there, to me that opens up another spot possibly for the Big Ten to get a second team. But, you know, it can, it can also work the other way. And we've seen sure. this happen in the Pac-12 where they just beat each other up to the point that it's like, okay, everybody has two losses. What's that mean for the Big Ten? Yeah. Are they, you know, are they in trouble? Or is this just a really good league? So um, I think it all depends on, obviously, what the other Power Five conferences do. But I, I would agree that it, it's so strong. And I don't think people are giving Penn State enough credit either this year. That's actually, uh, I'm glad you said that. Because I seem to be the only person on 11warriors.com who's, like, super excited for Trace McSorley and, and think they're going to be a really tough challenge for Ohio State, especially at the end of September. Um, who do you think? Who do you think wins the Big Ten? I mean, simple question. It's hard. It's a hard. It's a stupid question at the beginning. <laughs> it's a stupid question at the end of August, but it is a simple, obvious question, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been going back and forth between Penn State or Ohio, or Ohio State, to be honest. Um, to me, it's one of those two, and and I think that we'll see what happens with. Ohio State in this TCU game, I feel like that's when we'll really learn something about those guys. Um, Penn State, their offensive line has to be better. I think it will be better. You mentioned Trace McSorley. I think he's going to be really good this year, and not many people are talking about him very seriously in the Heisman race, but I think they should be. Um, I think he'll be fine at running back. So, I don't know. Flip a coin. It's one of those two. It's, <laughs> I'll it's take one, it. I'll take that, it. That's my out. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, thank you for your time. We do appreciate it. We know you're very, very busy. And thanks for giving us a few minutes on a, on a Monday night. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.
All right, still to come, ask us anything. But before we do that, we're going to go inside the press conference from Ryan Day today. Greg Shiano as well. Lots of news and notes coming from that. We're going to dig in a little bit on this roster and where it's going to be for Saturday. Um, before we do that, though, we do encourage you to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Dry Goods at 11warriors.com. All right, um, Ryan Day spoke. Turns out he's good at it. Um, yeah. the thing that was amazing to me was I love the line that where he tells the story of Chip Kelly giving him text messages that says you're built for this. Um, and Greg Shiano said as well that he had it. Yeah, he has it. Like he could have mm-hmm. talked three weeks ago and everybody would have been talking about football for the last three weeks. For whatever reason, Ohio State didn't let him out. And so we get him this week instead. But he's great. And he's going to be a head coach next year somewhere. And he's going to be successful. I do believe that. Uh, the big news of it from his side of things offensively was Dwayne Haskins officially named the starter. Yep. But I also think the other thing that was really interesting was the quote, the plan is to play Tate. And that is something that normally we would have spent the last three weeks discussing how to do that appropriately because it can be done well and it can be absolutely bobbled. A lot of teams in the country are trying to do it this year to appease young talent. It's going on at Clemson. It's going on at Georgia. It's going on at Alabama. There's a lot of places that are trying to do this. It's hard to do. Urban has done it successfully at Florida with Tim Tebow and Chris Leak. The difference there, of course, was that Chris Leak was a four-year starter and Tebow was a specialty player in the red zone who basically just ran it and did jump passes. Tate Martell, uh, while he is a better runner than Dwayne Haskins, do you really want to take the ball out of Dwayne Haskins' hand in the red zone? So, Johnny, how they do this, to me, will be a big, go a long ways in, in not only the overall de- development of Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell, but also the success or lack thereof this season, because this can really tear a team apart if this is done wrong. So I'm going to be super cynical about that and say that when he says that he's going to get Tate a lot of snaps, I think that is an answer predicated on the fact that they're playing one of the worst teams in the country. I don't think and so. there's no reason for the starting quarterback to be in there after halfway through the third quarter. So I think that's it, buddy. You don't think I, think I yeah, look, I, I am. I think there's a happy plan to be proven he, wrong he that went on think, in the press conference to say there's a plan for Tate. Yeah, no, I think I think there's going to be packages. We've talked about it a lot. They have to keep him happy because he he can transfer. So they've got to keep him happy. So they have to play both sides of this things a little bit. I don't think that he's going to be a mop up quarterback. I think he's I going to I play mean, minutes that matter. I think a lot of it does depend on how good Dwayne Haskins looks. I think they will probably try out a lot of new things schematically with Dwayne Haskins. And if he can handle it, then he'll get the lion's share. I, I mean, look, I. Tate Martell is an incredible athlete. I mean, he's a little dude. He can run around. He's obviously, you know, got a lot of talent in general. But to me, I think it's a mistake to make him a really, really significant part of the offense. I think he can come in and have packages and whatnot. And if he gets the ball every 20th snap or 15th snap, whatever, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But if he's like splitting time, like alternating drives and stuff like that, I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. I don't think he'll be alternating drives, but I could see like, you know, like getting a drive, like the fourth drive of the game, like he gets to play or inside the red zone, he gets to play. And to your point, that's why it's tricky, because if it's not done correctly, it can really derail things. So I I, I have a feeling that they have a plan for this. Um, I don't know if I buy into it, but I can't wait to see how what it looks like, because I have no clue. I've seen it work. I've seen it not work. It can be disastrous. (laughs) It can be beneficial. So um, it's that will be the thing I keep an eye on. We found out Michael Jordan at center. That's a done deal. Um, 
we on the defensive side of the ball, Borland is coming along. I mean, he wasn't listed as an original starter with Baron Browning starting in the middle, but uh, Shiano said in his press conference today that that uh, that Borland could be ready to go by the weekend. So that's, I mean, that's incredible if that's true. Um, I didn't. There wasn't any other real surprises depth chart wise for me. Did anything jump out to you depth chart wise? No, I think everybody was pretty much where they thought. Be. I think Michael Jordan centers a great. You know, I mean, that was coming a long time, but I also think that's a good choice. I think he'll be really good there. Uh, the offensive line in general is obviously just massive. Yeah, I, like you know, tough. Redskins. Remember the Hogs, like from the <laughs> late '80s and early '90s. What's the, the smallest redskin? Is the smallest like three hundred pounds or something? Yeah, that's yeah, I mean, crazy. forget about it. The yeah, center, monstrous. the largest center in the history of the universe. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, it looks good. I like the, I like the way the depth charts looking. I don't think there's any surprises, but I, I think it's a lot of talent that they're fielding. Um, the thing with Tough Borland, I, I think honestly he is going to be really needed at the linebacker spot, and not that I, I don't think that there isn't talent there, but just his consistency. He came in last season and did some really, really good things towards the end of the year. No reason to rush that dude back against Oregon State. Get him a, maybe a game or two before Penn State, but let him rest. Let him get 100%, at least as close as you're going to get on that, and and then unleash him. But as far as depth goes, that's the one where I worry the most, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, Shiano mentioned a couple of the freshmen could rotate in on the defensive line. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the way that they approached it today with Ryan Day and then Shiano, you know, both having a turn at the mic? Uh, I, th- I thought it was really, again, I think, unfortunately for them, it could have been done three weeks ago. They could have right. done it then. Um, and they probably could have done it every week during the entire thing, and it would have been fine. All they did today was say, look, they can't answer questions about an investigation. There were no questions about an investigation. So right. it, this isn't hard. Um, so I, mean, I think they really botched that because then everybody is talking about football for the last month instead of you know this investigation. Yeah. Um, but I thought both those guys were great. Yeah, no, they, I mean, obviously Shiano's got ridiculous amounts of experience in front of the podium and doing all that stuff. I, you know, Ryan Day, I always, I always go back to what I saw from Luke Fickle in 2011, which is the deer in a headlights look when he was going through all this. Ryan Day didn't have that at all. That dude looked like he was 100% ready to coach a football team, uh, any football team. And I got a lot of confidence from the dude. And to your point, if they had done, the Shiano day thing at the very beginning weeks ago, and then start making it just like Ryan day by himself all the time, there would be no, and frankly, I don't think there probably is much of it now, but there would be no concern or worry about who's going to be in charge of the team. Is the guy going to make the right decisions? Is he going to be decisive? Cause Ryan day is definitely that dude. And he, I don't think is going to have any issues in the, uh, in the games that Urban Meyer's out. Cause he's like no. I said, he, he just seems I, completely ended. He said in the press conference today, they were asking him about responsibilities on game day and stuff. And he said, he goes, look, he started to listen to the guys, you know, on his staff, Yeah, you know, Kevin and Shiano and Larry Johnson and Alex Grinch and Davis and all this. And you go, well, yeah, <laughs> what do they got to worry about? Like it's right. Urban Meyer has put together I, this for this year, at least, because they didn't expect Shiano to still be there. They put together, this is the best coaching staff in college football right now. I mean, there's no staff better than this one. There's no. not there's just not a and then you know Zach Smith and you add Heartline like it's right. across the board. I mean it's just they I don't know it's been a while since they've had an Ohio State staff this strong and it's as deep as any could be. I mean there's five guys on the I mean Grinch is going to be head coach, Day's going to be a head coach. Obviously Wilson's been one, Shiano's going to be one again sometime. 
Um, so that's four guys who are going to be head coaches in addition to Urban Meyer. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a ridiculous, you know, coaching staff that he put together. Yeah, I mean, you just you, the only thing you got to worry about there is like juggling egos. But I think at this point, none of those guys, that's not going to be much of a concern. I think they yeah, all and know I think actually do. this investigation will serve as a rallying point for that. Yeah, like I think one thing that this thing did is that's everybody who's in that building is going to be united and ready to go. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think they'll be ready to go for Saturday. And I'm, I'm, ex- I'm thrilled to watch a football game and see how they play. So uh, we will get to our three things coming up next. Uh, before we do that, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter, rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. All right, final segment of the show. We've got some Ask Us Anything, three things for the Buckeye win. But first, I want to acknowledge this is the beauty of something. So I, I was lucky enough for six years to work in Tallahassee, Florida. And with that, I got to cover a lot of SEC football predominantly Florida State football, but anytime Florida played a big game, I would cover the big games at Florida. So I had been to Florida, LSU, and Alabama, and Tennessee was a big one back in those days, and Florida, Georgia. And I will tell you that one of the most fun things you can do on a Saturday is watch the big SEC football game. Like, if you have a rooting interest, that's a lot of fun, is, right. is the rooting interest in the SEC. And now we have it, because Joe Burrow has been named the starting quarterback at LSU, <laughs> I am so excited about this because I love him as a human. Um, I think that it's that it's perfectly fine to suggest that uh, Ohio State went with the the better player in Dwayne Haskins, but that Joe Burrow is also really damn good. And I think you'd be silly not to have have a little sphere that maybe he'll light it up at LSU. I think that that's possible. I think he will. And. I'm all in. I'm all Bayou Bengals this year. I'm rooting for LSU as hard as I root for anybody. Um, I'm thrilled for him that he won the job. It doesn't surprise me because I knew how good he was and I knew how much you know they wanted him and frankly needed him. Um, but I'm excited to to be able to have a rooting interest in the Southeastern Conference this year and that and that that rooting interest is LSU, which is by the way a phenomenal place to watch a game, a phenomenal place to tailgate. And uh, hell, you want to go down there and watch a game, root for Joe Burrow. That's a winning weekend for you. Yeah, I, I read an article, I think it was like on NOLA.com, about uh, just basically a biography of him. And they're just kind of marveling at this dude who, not in the sense that he's this insane world-beating athlete, but he just, Joe Burrow definitely marches kind of the beat of his own drummer. And he's from Ohio, which to them, I'm, you know, might as well be like Antarctica. And it just, it's cool to me to see him go down there. I'm almost immediately winning the respect of everybody on the team and the coaching staff obviously showcases talent and then, you know, take control of one of the most visible high profile football teams in college sports. I just think that's awesome. And I I'm with you, dude. Like I'm going to be watching every LSU game because I'm rooting for the guy. I think that's awesome. Can you imagine like how gratifying that must be to him and his family? Oh yeah. You know, absolutely play in Athens. Uh, His dad's at OU as a coach. He goes to Ohio state and all Joe did at Ohio state was everything that was asked of him. Right. That's all he did. Just a just a sterling citizen. And it just so happened that much like Cam Newton and some others, Urban is just such a great recruiter that they had just a backload of quarterback talent. Right. And and because JT played four years, he had to wait. And then because Dwayne Haskins was recruited right behind him, he got he got. And frankly, if Joe doesn't get hurt last year to start the year, maybe it's him. Maybe it's Haskins who transfers out. So. You know, that that's how slippery that whole thing was to him being, you know, he all he wanted to do is play quarterback at Ohio State and then to have the stones. Do you remember when we did the show and we were like predict where he goes? And I said, I, I I'm being selfish and I hope he goes to LSU because yeah. it, it was the ballsiest play. 
I just thought it was the ballsiest play to go to, to go to LSU. You're promised nothing. It's a crazy coaching staff. The expectations are absurd. But boy, if you really believed in yourself, you'd go to LSU and just see and roll the dice and say, yeah, because if you can be the starting quarterback at LSU, I mean, you can make a living in the state of Louisiana the rest of your life if you beat Alabama once. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a big gamble, and I just love the fact that he accepted that gamble and did it. So I'm just thrilled for him. Um, yeah. That he did it. It's 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 really a cool story, and I'm like I said, I'm all in uh, on LSU. Um, should you ask us anything, or three things for the Buckeyes on Saturday first? Let's do let's do ask us anything first, and then finish it with three things. Finish strong with the three things. All right, ask us anything. Right, it is good. my friend. All right, so ask us anything, guys. You can send us questions to uh, dubcast at eleven warriors dot com or at eleven dubcast on uh, on Twitter. Let's start with this one. Um, so this is. Uh, from ryan he says hey fellas born buckeye living in chattanooga tennessee finally heading up for the first game in the shoe since 2011 he'll be there october 13th for the minnesota game he hasn't been there in a while clearly so what what are some things that have changed in the past you know six seven years here that uh you know maybe he needs to be aware of something that he can check out you would be better at that than me because my experience going to ohio stadium as a media member so i literally park across the street right at, in the garage <laughs> just walk in walk in and that's it so i don't i don't know how the tailgate situation has changed at all in that time it, this yeah. one's set up on a t for you my friend let me let me tell you something i'm not a big tailgater guy i want to tell you something i want to tell you one thing ryan this is of dire importance this is something that i learned today it just completely turned my world upside down i'm incredibly heartbroken about it uh mama's mama's possum brew is closing i believe on the 30th of november and okay. every single person in the Columbus area and with the, within the sound of my voice needs to go to High Street and go to Mama's, get a beer, get some lasagna, get one of their sandwiches and just enjoy it while it lasts, man. Because like that's that is one of my all time favorite places on campus and it's going away. Go to Mama's. Why is it going away? Campus partners, dude. I mean, it's just like, boy, they the are just taking they are everything sucking. else. Ohio State bought it and. Yeah. You know, they are sucking up the they are sucking the life out of the place. Like yeah. all of the anything that's mom and pop or it's all it's just going to look like a strip mall. Yeah. You know what's happening, though, is that's happening all over the country. Buddy told me the same thing happened is happening in Tallahassee at Florida State. Right. That they have some sort of a gateway thing. Um, and they've basically like all of the old like college bars and stuff have all gone away and everybody goes to this gateway place. Yeah. So it's, and, it sounds like that thing's happening all over the country. It sucks. It does suck because you've got institutions that have been there in the case of like, you know, for instance, Larry's had been there, I think, since the 1920s. Um, yeah. I don't know. Even institutions, things like Buckeye Donuts, which I don't think is ever going away. But, you know, they've been forced to accommodate certain things that were asked of them by, you know, people who want to develop around there. And it sucks to me because really cool, organic restaurants and i don't mean organic in the sense that they sell organic food yeah, i mean things yeah. that have evolved there over time because of the culture around the campus that's going to be subject to the whims of now like random goofy crap that shows up for three years and leaves you know what i mean like there's yeah. none of it is going to be produced organically it's all going to be done in business deals five thousand miles away from columbus without really a care about what people on high street want and that's what bothers yeah. me because the places that have been there are there because people support them and it's cool. And that's more organic to Columbus. And I want more of that. So unfortunately mom's is going away. People need to go there uh, before that happens. And 
pay one last uh, tribute to it because it was one of my all-time favorite places on campus. Um, all right, this next one here is from Rob. So he basically, you know, wants to know after the investigation is over and the final report was released, I was wondering what the impact of the Zach Smith over the years on other assistant coaches. So in other words, how might they have reacted to this as all of this stuff was going on in the background at Ohio State? Run the first part of that back for me. So in other words, while all this is going on, they talk about yeah. all the shenanigans Zach Smith was getting up to what would the impact of that and urban Meyer not acting on it beyond maybe the other assistant coaches who probably, you know, had some inkling of what was happening. Well, I mean, you can take the, uh, this is why we have nepotism laws, right? You know, that most people try to get around Uh, now, obviously there's no nepotism with not direct nepotism with Zach, but um, look, you've been in a workplace in your life where somebody, because they are, you know, related to ownership, works there too and maybe they don't do what you do and they get life better so yeah. i think that would be the effect would be boy this sob <laughs> like if you're tim frankly if you're tim beck or you're ed warner and you get fired for performance right and, and you know pushed out like that you could have fired this clown for performance a hundred times let alone right. all the rest of it and he got a, an extra long leash and it, it, the one thing that really you know bothered me one of the many things that bothered me in the report was just uh the notion that they all had to stick up for zach when he's talking to like the team, like don't mention the stuff with Zach, but urban has that quote in the report where he says, um, you know, we're, we have to all make sure we're there for Zach, like to hell with Zach, right. you know, like that's the thing that I kept coming back to on this thing. Like all of this for Zach Smith, really? Yeah. Like, for that guy, this wasn't Tom Herman, like some offensive genius or anything, you know, <laughs> like, geez, he's not even good at his job. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, because it wasn't just the assistant coaches. I think. I think about the, you know, the players, and I've talked about that, like just sitting around going like, what the hell? This guy's not at practice. You know, he's not yeah. showing up for meetings and stuff. I mean, that w- I'd be infuriated, especially if I drop a pass and I'm sitting for a yeah. year. Double and then, all this, you know, this guy is Brutal. making 300 some thousand dollars. Uh, all right. Next one here is from Alvin. He wants to know, so what, what do you think the spread uh, without Urban is going to be for TCU? And what do you think it would be if he was uh, coaching for it? I think it's probably only a difference of like three points. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that. Um, much. I don't think it'll be that much. Is there a line out? I'm sure there's a line for that game already. My guess there is probably Ohio State. Is. I haven't seen it yet. My um, guess is Ohio State by like minus nine and a half or something like that. Yeah, that that, that would nine. make sense. TCU somewhere in that vicinity. TCU got rated a little bit higher than I thought they would actually in the in the AP, but the, you know, the, the, I don't think it's a functional road game, which doesn't help. But I, I really think the talent disparity you're going to see it, especially on the lines, offensive and defensive, yeah. because that's. I think Ohio State's just going to eat their offensive line for lunch. It's going to be that's going to be a tough game uh, for TCU offensively. Uh, last yeah. one here. This is about the rivalry trophy. Why doesn't Ohio State have some serious ones? And then he says the Illy Buck question mark, which I, I disagree with that question mark. We can do better. Uh, we have so many. <laughs> we have so many rivalries. Penn State, maybe a king keg yeah. of Yingling. Michigan State, <laughs> a Golden Spade, because uh, the winner usually buries the other's chances for a championship. Uh, Wisconsin, a Buckeye made out of cheese. That sounds disgusting. Uh, brutal. <laughs> uh, Nebraska and Minnesota, the broken chair. Uh, so are there any other ideas that we can come I up with? I think that's all pretty good. All yeah, of those are probably good pretty ideas, good. The, the problem with all of it, it is, Joe, is these things tended to be things that happened in the 1915s when people were just batshit crazy and they just made <laughs> stuff up. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like the, some of these things, Floyd of Rosedale or whatever, like right. the, I, who, who comes up with this nonsense? Yeah. yeah the acts. I mean, the, the whole, it's just crazy. I mean, none of it even makes any sense. Well, so I don't think even, that 
I'm sorry. I, I mean, I guess it makes Ellibuck, sense, though. Even it would have been something. Ellibuck, that I can't get it. was a live turtle that they killed due to mistreatment. Yeah, I don't. I into its back and it just died. So that's why they made wood. Yeah, well, at least they did that. But I mean, all this stuff happened like so long ago right. that I think now if you tried to start something, I think it comes across kind of cheesy. But I did like uh, I liked his the golden spade was pretty good for Ohio State, Michigan State. I like that. That's not bad. Yeah, that's I think that's a cool idea. Uh, you know, like I said, this is another one of those things that has to happen organically. You can't just kind of make a thing. There's got to be a story behind it. There's got to be some kind of idea. I mean, again, Illabuck, which I take umbrage. Illabuck's the greatest trophy in all of sports. Um, no, but there's no way it's better than that pig that Iowa and Minnesota. Well, okay, yeah, was, but what I'm saying is, is that there's got to be some kind of story behind it. Illabuck, the reason why they picked a turtle is because uh, they wanted to symbolize the long-standing rivalry and I guess friendship between Ohio State and Illinois, which is fine. Illinois is Ohio State's I think second uh, most played rival in football, which mm-hmm. is you know good. That's cool. Uh, but yeah. you've got to you've got to have something to develop that. So I think maybe if you know, Michigan state and Ohio state end up this scenario plays out over and over and over over the next decade, then yeah, I think golden spade would be a really interesting uh, idea. I like it. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. That's I mean, and that will look cool too. The other thing is either a trophy either has to be atrocious or it has to be really, really cool. Like it can't be in the middle. It can't be kind of meh because if it's kind of meh, you just want to throw it away, but it's either a giant block of, I don't know who does that wooden, it just looks like some kind of wooden atrocity. That's just this like hunk of wood that people stuck a bunch every, of crap into. Every game um, that every game that Minnesota plays has a trophy. <laughs> like Minnesota people are nuts. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's it's yeah. crazy. Got so it. I, by the way, one of the cultural things I love about the Big Ten is the massive amount of trophies. I think that's hilarious that there are so many trophy games. But yeah, um, well, but like I said, Minnesota and Wisconsin are involved in eighty percent of them. Yeah, they are. Like there's well, something you know, about the people up there that were crazy. Yeah, yeah it's the Scandinavian thing. Maybe they just give out. I don't know. Time for three things. As we, uh, it, it is a game week after all. Number one for me that I'm looking forward to Saturday. Look, folks, I've been wanting to watch this kid spin it for a year and a half, man. Hell yeah! I just want to see. I want to see Dwayne Haskins first play of the game throw the damn thing seventy yards down the field. I don't care who's on the other end of it. I don't even care if they catch it. I just want to see. An Ohio State quarterback for the first time since Cardell Jones, and that's with all due respect to JT Barrett, throw the damn ball down the field. And I think we'll get it on Saturday, and I can't wait to see uh, young Mr. Seven spin the ball down the field. In, in lieu of us talking about football, I think what we have done is we have shortchanged, this is my first thing, we have shortchanged the running game, which I am actually really excited for. I want to see how they're going to split carries between Mike Weber and Jacob yeah. Dobbins. I want to see uh, if either of them end up – what I really want to see is them both to get over a hundred yards rushing, which I think is possible, especially against Oregon state's defense, which is one of the absolute worst in the country. So I want to see those guys dominate. I want to see them run over dudes. That really to me is probably going to be the, at least the beginning of the season, the least talked about part of the offense that should be the most talked about part of the offense, because those guys I think are ready to roll and they're going to be really, really, really good. Yeah, the whole even beyond those guys, it's so talented. And I don't know if you'll get a real feel for how that's going to work until TCU 
because that'll be yeah. the first real challenge game. So I don't know if we'll get a real feel for that till then. Uh, number two for me, who's the deep threat? I'm thrilled that Brian Hartline is coaching receivers now. There's a there is a lot of talent. There's two captains in that receiver room, but I need to see. I've been hearing about Ben Ben Victor Austin Mack for years. I need to see somebody get deep and make plays. They haven't had anybody since Devin Smith who could consistently get deep and make plays, and they got to have that. They got the quarterback to do it. And and I, I'm curious to see who that is. And I think we will get a, a peek at that on, on Saturday. Uh, two for me is the defensive line. I am really, really, really excited to see not just the ends, obviously, because you've got, you know, guys like Nick Bosa and what, you know, going out there and just sacking the crap out of everybody. But I I am really excited just to see some of the younger guys hopefully get some time in the rotation, especially in the interior, see how good they are against the run. Um, I, that's probably the best unit top to bottom on the team, in my opinion. So I, I'm really excited to see how well they play and how they work the rotation. You, you mentioned the defensive line. It's easy to go to the two best players on that defensive line. But beyond that, the entire unit in general, uh, the, the young freshman that Chiano mentioned today, you think about Browning, Akuda. Yep. Some of these young kids who we've been kind of hearing whispers about, and now they're going to get thrust into a big stage on a Saturday. I'm curious to see how they respond. I mean, this is this is a pretty easy jumping off point. I know it's a Pac-12 opponent, but Oregon State was dreadful a year ago. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see how some of these young guys, you know, play under the bright lights um, of a, of a noon kick in a season opener. And I think what you're going to have Saturday, Johnny, is you're going to have the manifestation of a month of frustration for player, yes. fan, anybody. Who, who roots for the program or believes or loves the program, it's all going to manifest at noon on Saturday. I think it's going to be nuts. I think it's going to be a nuts environment. I think that team will just feel the love of that support, 106,000 strong. And I think for for that day, that'll, I think, when this thing is finally all behind, you know, like th- that will be the end of it. We'll be then until Urban comes back at Tulane or whatever. But I think you'll see a pretty magical moment at noon on Saturday in the shoe. Yeah, I think people will go nuts. And my third thing is a little bit more benign than that. I just I'm looking for some Ryan Day fashion. I want to see what kind of fashion statement he decides to make. But you're an Ohio State head coach, right? You got to have a fashion statement. You got to have something. Well, Urban always wears the white at home. Yep, and he's got the windbreakers and stuff. And of course, you know, Trestle's got the sweater vests. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to think of like a cool thing for Ryan Day to wear, and I think if he wore something like a cutoff, like. You know, one of those those sweatshirts where you've got like the sleeves cut off, or or he wears sweat, or he like tucks it into like some sweatpants. That would be <laughs> no super- Harbaugh tucks sweatshirts into, into pants. We can't have that. I, um, I think you could do like I always think a look that looks pretty good is like the sleeveless like golf wind shirt. Oh, okay. I know you're talking about a polo. Yeah, that's always a good look. That is a cool that's, look. That's yeah, that's, that's a good that look usually wins. Or yeah. he just bring back the Earl Bruce and just do the you know full suit and start. Probably not the like, best I'm timing. A serious man, you know. Probably not the best timing for an Earl Bruce tribute. Unfortunately for Coach. Probably not at at the moment. Probably. But not. yes, I do love a fedora and suit. That's about as good as it gets. I love the I love Bruce so much. Uh, miss him. I had so much fun working with him all those years. But uh, I don't know if we'll see a fedora and suit anytime soon on the in the on the Buckeye sidelines. Well, we got a game, buddy. And it's, I can't wait to see it. I know you do as well. And for yep. all of this, and this has been a trying thing. I mean, it's, it's trying, I know for you guys at the site, trying to report on this. And I know you got a faction of people who don't want to hear anything negative and you've got, I deal with the same stuff on the radio side. Like it's, this is a, this has been a tricky month. I'm glad it's done um, for now at least. And we can, we have a game on a Saturday at noon. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm pumped. I mean, it's, it's been a long time since we've had some football. It feels even longer than it normally yeah. does. And uh, I'm just, I'm just ready to sit down and watch it. I'm see how it goes. Looking forward to it, buddy. We will talk next week. Yep. Talk to you next week.
By the way, real right, quick, let me tell you about oh, the. Yeah. I got a tuna no casserole story. Because <laughs> I sent Bo, you don't know this. So I sent I sent Heather the number, and I said I'm I'm going to send a little early because I want to enjoy this tuna no casserole. When I was in college, um, I was living with some guys, and the first night we were there, uh, I told him I was like, "Well, I'm going to make some tuna no casserole. Do you guys want some?" I'm like, "Yeah, tuna no casserole. We love tuna no casserole." And so I make some craft macaroni and cheese. I dump. <laughs> I dump in three cans of tuna. I'm like, it's done. Enjoy. Because <laughs> my entire life, that's what I thought. That's that's how my parents made it. That's what they called tuna no casserole. And they're like, what the hell did you just do? Oh, my and, gosh. That's priceless. Yeah. So my, my wife actually made some legitimate, really good tuna no casserole. And I was just really happy to actually eat what is apparently really tuna no casserole. So. That's so funny. Now, see, I try to make, like, real tuna no casserole, and I have three little boys, and it doesn't okay. go over very well. But now I'm going <laughs> to try your recipe. Yeah. I mean, it's literally Kraft macaroni and cheese. You dump it in. You're done. Pretend it's healthy. 